How is everybody, all right? All right. So we're two messages away. This is the second to the last message on the book of, uh, well, the story of Joseph, actually, from the book of Genesis. And uh, just feels like it was the whole book of Genesis because it's a long, long series. But it's, it's been a good one, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, titled today's message, No Place Like Home. <clears throat> And some of you were thinking, yeah, and that's good. <laughs> uh, maybe you didn't have the greatest home situation. Uh, and maybe you did. So uh, I like that, that thought about home. And it's, you know, it's Christmas time, and Christmas brings all kinds of feelings to the surface. And you know what? They bubble up no matter how hard we try to hold them down. And here's what happens in a lot of families and in a lot of lives. When, when reality bumps up against the fantasy of Christmas, you understand what I mean by the fantasy of Christmas. It's a wonderful life. and I mean, I love all those things. That's our favorite movie in our family. Uh, our favorite line is, it comes in handy down here, Bob, talking about money, uh, Clarence the Angel. Uh, but we, we love that movie, and we love all the things that surround Christmas, but the reality bumps up against the fantasy of Christmas often. And you know what? There can be an explosion. It really can. Christmas can be really, really, really challenging. It can be an explosion of, of, of passion for sure. It can be really negative for some people. Or it can be really positive, or anywhere in the middle of that, or all over the board. But at this time of the year, our feelings are really close to the surface. And uh, you know why? Because Christmas is connected to two powerful, powerful ideas and words. And those two words are family and home. Those are powerful words. And it conjures up all kinds of things in our mind, some really wonderful and some really, really, really difficult, a broad range of emotions. So at the Illinois Youth Center this, this week on Thursday, we got there and the security people had put the chairs just in a circle, which was good. I love meeting with these guys in a circle. There were about 20 young men in there, and it's close to Christmas, so we... We talk about things like that sometimes, and uh, uh, I asked how many of these young men had had a father in their home. There's that word again, home, family. Not one of the 20 had had a father in the home. Wow, that hit me. Usually it's you know like 50% or a third or, or something like that, or once in a while I'll hit a group where they're it's almost everybody, but there were none of these young men that had a father in their home. And then I asked these 13 to 18-year-olds how many of them were fathers, and, and three of them were. And I think they were closer to the 13 than they were to the 18. And, uh, and I thought about their children that are being born and whether or not they would have a father in their home. And what does home what will home, the words home and family mean to those children? And then I asked how many of them would possibly make it home for Christmas. Because once in a while we get somebody in there that's, even though they're in uh, what we call reception, they're just a, a couple or a few weeks away from being released. None of them would be home for Christmas, another big zero. And you know what? It helps me gain perspective about my own family and my own situation when I can look at the lives of other people, especially these young men. Uh, you know, and I remember, I remember being in a war zone on Christmas. Uh, and I remember the emptiness of my soul at that time of my life. I wasn't even sure I wanted to be around family and home, but I do remember the emptiness. And uh, I think about people that are separated from family and home. And so we come to these final chapters of Genesis 48 and 
49, and we're looking at the life of Joseph, but what happens here is primarily we zero in on Jacob in these two chapters <laughs> at the end of his life. And interestingly enough, and you're going, whoa, what does this have to do with Christmas? But it's a deathbed scene that we're looking at today. We're, we're looking at Jacob at the very end of his life. And I think it's a great place to be today, actually. And I think God has us here for a purpose uh, and that he wants to teach us some things. So what is it that we're to learn? <clears throat> I'd like to have you stand with me. Uh, I'm going to read, and uh, it's fairly long. I'm not going to read the whole, all of 48 and 49, but I'm going to read a good portion of it. So if you turn to Genesis chapter 47, actually, starting in verse 29, and then follow along with me and, and try and uh, think, about, think about what's happening here. And when the time drew near, starting in Genesis 47, 29, when the time drew near that Israel, that's Jacob, must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. By the way, that's how they made a covenant. I won't go into the details of that, but that's a covenant that was made between a father and son. And, and so that's important. And, and here's what Jacob says, do not bury me in Egypt. That's where they are now. But let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Jake, or Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me, and he swore to him. And then Israel, that's Jacob, bowed himself upon the head of his bed, or his staff. Starting in verse, or chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, or Jacob, summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They, that's those two, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from, from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And when Israel saw, when Jacob saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil and blessed bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on 
and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. <laughs> when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And then Israel, Jacob said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope, that would be Shechem, that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. And then the first verse of 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Now jump all the way down to verse 28 of, of chapter 49. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Marm, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Let's pray. Father, amazing words from Scripture uh, that you allowed us to share this, this scene of Jacob at the end of the life, of his life, with his sons. Would you teach us? In Jesus' name, amen. It calls for a drink of water. Throughout life, this be your first point. Throughout life, parents have issues. <laughs> we'll look at the life of Jacob just really briefly. And yet, parents who have issues, and think about your own parents, and then think about yourself as parents, parents definitely have issues. So Jacob's issues began, and he was a parent, but not yet, but they began in his mother's womb. He was already fighting and struggling with his brother Esau. You remember that story, right? He was jostling for position <laughs> in the womb of his mother. <laughs> and that lasted all the way into adulthood. Jacob and Esau would be jostling for position all the way through their life. And you know what? The parents of Jacob, they had favorites. You remember that? Yeah. And, and <laughs> that set a pattern that Jacob would follow into parenthood. So I'm wanting us to think about the issues that families had, and boy, they had a lot of them. And you know what? Jacob's mother taught Jacob how to deceive. And Jacob stole the blessing and the birthright from Esau. Now, Esau let it go, basically for a bowl of chili, and, and you know, he was hungry. And, and he gave it away. So Esau wasn't without blame, but there's issues in this family. And you know what? Esau vowed to kill Jacob. He said, when, when our father Isaac dies, I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. Wow, what a family. 
And so Jacob, with his mother's advice, Rebecca's advice, he runs to Uncle Laban to, to find a wife. And uh, <laughs> Laban deceives the deceiver. That's an amazing part of this story. Here's Jacob, who had deceived uh, his own brother, and he runs to his uncle, and his uncle out-deceives him. You know, he, he, he's in love with, with Rachel, <laughs> but he, he, he gets surprised when he married Leah first. <laughs> and, and so that's a problem. And, and finally, many years later, seven years, I think, to be exact, uh, Laban, uh, I mean, uh, Jacob gets to marry Rachel. But Rachel, his true love, another issue in their family is barren for the first part of their marriage. And they struggle. They have issues. And Jacob ends up having children from four different women. And that's a problem. Two of them his wives, two of them maidservants. <laughs> and then after he gains great wealth from Uncle Laban uh, by his way of uh, <laughs> shepherding, uh, he runs away. He runs away from Uncle Laban. And, and Uncle Laban re, you know, pursues them. Do you remember why he pursued them? Because Rachel, his own daughter, had stolen the family's idols. <laughs> and then when he comes to find them, she deceives him and hides them. So there's deceit. There's challenges in this family. You see the pattern that's repeated over and over? And then Jacob has to face his brother Esau. He's scared to death because he saw he was, he was a hunter. You know, he was good with weapons. And he was wealthy. And he said, I'm going to do you in. And now he's going to meet his brother Esau. So he's afraid. You know, Jacob was suspicious all of his life of other people. You know why? Have you ever known that people that aren't trustworthy have difficulty trusting other people? I've seen that. And so he, they think everybody's heart is the same as theirs. So Jacob, his whole life is suspicious. They come back to the land that was promised to them. His daughter is raped, Jacob's daughter. And then his sons, they slaughter a whole community in revenge. The whole community, not just the people that did it, bringing great stress and duress on their father. And then his sons, as you well know from the story we've been in, they hate his favorite son, son of Rachel, <laughs> Joseph, and they sell him into slavery, deceiving their father. Do you see how patterns begin in families and they go over and over and over again? And then comes the famine, and they wind up in Egypt. Really a brief rundown on Jacob's life. But do you see the issues there that are repeated? This is, uh, this week I was, um, I had to do a devotional uh, for the physical plan at Wheaton College, and I had to do one for uh, the Illinois Youth Center. And I had a devotional all planned. This happens to me once in a while, and it's always a challenge. Three o'clock in the morning on Tuesday morning, uh, as I was preparing, well, I was, I was sleeping. Uh, God woke me up and said, no, you're not going to do that devotional. I want you to talk about the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you're probably wondering, what in the world does this have to do with this message? And so I'm wondering the same thing. What in the world, do, why do you want me to do that, Lord? I've done that over and over again, and people are very familiar with that. And here's what the Lord brought to my mind. I think it's appropriate. Um, you know the story. The, <laughs> the Pharisee, he removes himself kind of from the group. And he's got his hands raised to the Lord. And, He's praising God that he's not like these other people, and he names the things they've done, adultery, extortion. And, uh, and so he's standing there. And then the, the tax collector, who in the nation of Israel, he was probably despised as a tax collector. He's removed from the group as well. 
and he's standing on over here, and his head is down. He can't even look up into heaven, and he's beating on his chest. And he's saying, Father, have mercy on me, because I'm a sinner. And Jesus said he told this story to people that needed to hear this. And so I, I always want to ask, well, who am I in that story? And frankly, I've always thought of myself as more like the tax collector. That, yeah, you know, I know I'm a sinner, that I can't come to God because of the sin in my life. And, and yeah, I want, I want to be humble and and, and that, yet God, I think, showed me that morning at 3 o'clock in the morning. No, Dave, there's, there's some times where you're the Pharisee. And I thought, well, well, how so? Reminded me of my own father. And I, I remember saying to myself, well, at least I've never done that before, thinking of my own father. And then I thought about other people, Christians that I know, and I, maybe I've thought, you know what? Our kids aren't perfect, but at least they're not that way or they haven't done that. And I began to realize that I think Jesus told this story so that all of us <laughs> would be able to see ourselves really as the Pharisee. And maybe you've all done that. I've struggled with that, apparently. And so as I was thinking about this, and we were having some struggles this week in our family. And it just caused me to realize that all families, all parents, all children have issues. Jacob had issues. We have issues in our family. Don't we have issues in our family? Yeah. And, and we need to be really careful. I need to be really careful about how I look at other people's lives as a Christian. And so I think God is teaching us a lesson <laughs> because if you think about Jacob, he seems like kind of a scoundrel. So let's move forward. Uh, <laughs> uh, God uses Jacob, of all people, to teach us a lesson about the end of life, an important lesson. Uh, here he is, a conniving, fearful deceiver, and God's grace chooses him to teach us. So in later years, that, the first point was throughout life, but in later years, preparations and practical issues are discussed. So there's some real practical things in this passage that we really need to see uh, from Genesis 48 and 49. We see at the end of chapter 47 how Jacob called his own son to him and made him promise some things. What was the first thing you made him promise? Somebody tell me. Don't bury me in Egypt. This is not my home. And, and, and that's amazing uh, to me. Uh, and parents were to do those kinds of things for our children. We're to make preparations. We're to take care of practical issues. Um, <laughs> Kathy's father, I was reading about him this morning, Kath, from that, what is it that we got from your sister-in-law, family genealogy, and I was reading about Kathy's father this morning, and remembering great soldier, silver star, uh, two purple hearts, hit every island in the Pacific, took care of his family. We never had the any assurance that he knew the Lord Jesus. But when he died, what he did well was he prepared ahead of time for his family. All of his economic things were in order. He had a place to be buried. Uh, he had an attorney hired that would take care of things at the end of his life. Uh, everything was in order. And you know, when a family is grieving the loss of somebody they love, what a joy it is to have somebody that's prepared well. And uh, that's what Jacob is doing here. He's calling his son, and he's giving him instructions. This is what you need to do at the end of life. <laughs> and uh, I thought about my own father. Uh, 
challenges with my own father, but you know, my father, <laughs> not only did he uh, arrange for some of these things, but you know, he was a veteran and they didn't have a lot of money, so he wanted to be buried in uh, Abraham Lincoln Memorial Cemetery for free, and so we were able to honor that. Uh, he went as far, he asked me to preach his service, you've heard me say that, but he went as far as to plan the whole service and told me what to say. <laughs> I didn't say all those things, by the way. Uh, sorry, Dad. Uh, but I'll never forget the meeting that my family had with my mom and dad when they were still alive and dad was getting really close to death. And the hospice people were there as well. And we sat at a table and and... The things that were important to my father were where he would be buried, the service, who's going to take care of mom was the next thing he did. And we as a family decided, you know, mom will go live on the farm in Virginia with my sister Linda. We'll build an addition for her down there. Dad will take care of her. So he cared for his own wife. That gave him great peace when he died to know that his wife, our mother, was to be taken care of. Those are the things that parents are supposed to do, preparations and practical issues. In my family, <laughs> we even built dad's casket. The family in Virginia cut the wood, planed it all into pieces, sent it to me on a trailer, and I built dad's casket. And uh, we put him in the casket, and uh, I was able to preach his funeral as well. My mom, we built that addition for her in Virginia. We supplemented her care during the years that she was alive after dad died. Uh, Richard and Linda would need to get away. Kathy and I would go down to the farm and help take care of mom. Those are the things that we promised to do to my father. I was with my mom at her death, just like I was with my dad. And while she was dying, the family in Virginia was building her casket, and when she died, the Lord gave me the privilege of, and something I wanted to do was to dig my mother's own grave and uh, preach her funeral, and uh, we did that. Now, your family may not do it that way, but those are the things that parents are to do. They're to prepare their families. <laughs> so be like Jacob and prepare Prepare your family for these things. So at the end of life, there's another point here. God's people need to focus. So at the beginning of chapter 48, Joseph gets the final call. And the call is, you know, dad's sick. He's dying. How many of you had a call like that in, in your life? Yeah, a lot of you have had that kind of a call. So you remember it. And most of us will get that call someday. And just like Joseph, in the beginning of time, it's amazing, in the beginning of time in Scripture, he gets the call, whatever it was. It probably wasn't on a cell phone, I'm guessing. Uh, but Dad's dying. And so Joseph goes to his father. And that's what we do as family. <laughs> and we focus. It's a time to focus. Uh, if, if God allows you the opportunity to know beforehand that your time is drawing near, it's a time for us to focus on some things. If God gives us that blessing, it doesn't happen that way with everyone. But if you're the child of someone that's dying and you're running to that person, then your focus needs to be on that parent. And parents of younger children, it would really be wise to begin to focus on these issues as soon as your kids mature. Begin to talk about these things so that when it happens, it's not such a, a horrible, shocking thing that has not been talked about in the family. Prepare a will. Uh, talk about those things. I think that's what God would have us to do. So, but here, uh, here's what happens here is Jacob focuses first on faith. He's called his son there, and he focuses on his faith. <laughs> and I love it. it. God gave him the strength. I'm imagining him, like my own father, laying in a bed, really almost unable to sit up. And all of a sudden, it says that he got the strength to sit up 
and to talk to his son. So God gave him that strength when he needed it to share his faith. And, and he tells about how God came to him in a dream. You remember that first time that happened in the life of Jacob? There was a ladder. <laughs> Angels, yeah, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. I remember that. And, and so Jacob, he's assuring his He's assured by God of God's presence, and he's assured by God of his promises in that dream. And Jacob is sharing this with, with Joseph and, and with his family. And in that occasion where he had that dream, Jacob committed to serve God. To me, this is like telling your child, this is the first time that God spoke to me, and I decided that I was going to follow Jesus. So he's sharing his faith with his family on his deathbed. That needs to be done. It needs to be done probably before your deathbed. And, and no doubt he had probably already told his family <laughs> about what had happened when he wrestled with God because what did Jacob have that was with him for the rest of his life? Yeah, he limped and his name had been changed. You know, they were calling him Israel now instead of Jacob. He had to tell his family what had happened. I wrestled with a man. And I found out that it was the Lord that I had wrestled with. And he put my hip out of socket. That's why I limped. And he changed my name to Israel. So he's rehearsing the things that God has done in his life. We never, I don't think any of us have ever wrestled the, with the Lord physically. But the Lord has spoken to us in our lives in many ways. And then he probably told the family about when God moved him back to the land and God visited him again and told him about, I'm going to give you the land, I'm going to give you the seed of the offspring, and from that seed of the offspring will come a blessing to the whole world. So he's, he highlights what happened in his life for his kids, the faith journey. We need to do that, parents. I had a brother-in-law that was dying. He had the gift, and I'm going to say it, he had the gift of knowing, barring a miracle, that he was going to die. And I challenged my brother-in-law. He was a great storyteller. I said, Neil, please make a tape recording and, and leave it for your family uh, and, and tell them the, your stories and maybe your faith journey. He never did it. He missed an opportunity to gift his family. Parents, we need to do that for our children. We need to tell our faith stories so that they can remember it and understand how God has impacted our lives. <laughs> so here's, here's the point. Psalm 71, 18. You can write that down if you want to. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me. Here it is until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Tell your faith story to your children. And I don't care what kind of issues you've had in your life. You know, I've had issues, and, and, and you've all had things happen in your life that are horrible, some of them, but tell them about the faithfulness of God in your life. Tell them. So he focuses on faith, but then he focuses on a family issue. <laughs> and I think Jacob, he knows that he needs to settle this family issue. <laughs> I think that at the end of his life, he was focused enough to know that he had played a part in the wrong that had been done to Joseph. Do you know what that was? He had played favorites. He very much had played favorites. And that's part of the reason that his brothers hated Joseph. And I think at the end of his life, Jacob was focused enough to see that. And so he calls Joseph in alone the first time, and he settles this issue by making Joseph, in a sense, special. <laughs> he writes this wrong. He raises the status of Joseph's sons in the heritage by giving them a blessing that was supposed to be just received by his own 12 sons. And he invokes the name of the God of Abraham and Isaac, and he calls him my shepherd and my redeemer. 
and he plants that primary blessing <laughs> on the younger grandson, <laughs> just like we've seen earlier in the book of Genesis. I love it when Joseph protests, hey, Dad, 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 you got that wrong. <laughs> and I'm just imagining Jacob as a stubborn old man, because I know I've known a lot of stubborn old men, and I'm probably one of them. And I'm just hear him say, nope, nope, that's not wrong. This is how we're doing it. This is what God told me to do. <laughs> but he did it. And that was God's perfect will. And both boys receive a blessing. And Joseph is given a special piece of land, Shechem. I think Jacob's trying to make something right. And Jacob tells Joseph that God will be with him with Joseph, and that Joseph will see the land of his fathers. Did Joseph see the land of his fathers? Not until he died. They carried him out of Egypt, too. <laughs> so the point for you and I, make things right in your family. Certainly before you die. You don't know when that is, so make things right. I think I told the small group uh, over a week ago that a young friend of mine, Chris, Pastor Chris, called and said, Dave, my dad, who I don't talk to, is they're taking his leg off because of diabetes. He's in congestive heart failure. He's in Kansas City. I'm in Cincinnati. What should I do? I said, go to your dad. Make things right even though it's not your own fault. Go to him and, and say, forgive me, Dad, for, for, for the resentment I've had against you or the anger I've had against you. Make things right with your family. You don't want to carry that when a parent dies. You don't want to carry that when a brother or a sister dies. God uses imperfect people and even imperfect blessings to accomplish his purpose. The last thing that Jacob at the end of his life focuses on is the future. And that brings us to chapter 49. And, and Jacob is, is going on to bless all 12 of his sons. <laughs> and I'm thinking as, as the sons are, are seeing the father and know that he's dying, I'm thinking about Joseph. And Joseph's conduct in life towards Jacob, his own father, was, was good. There was, <laughs> was with, without reproach. So I'm thinking, you know, Joseph, as he listens to Jacob speaking, there's no remorse about how he had treated his father. He's, he receives the blessing. But then I'm thinking about the other 11 sons. Dad's dying. Remember what we did to Dad? We deceived him. For all those years, we let him think his son was dead. <laughs> it must have been really difficult for them as they received the blessing, knowing what they had done. Make things right. I'm sure they had very mixed emotions. So there's a, a pattern here. In our lives today, we have this pattern for blessing our children. We don't have the time to delve into all the blessings of chapter 49, and frankly, they're hard to understand, and even the theologians struggle with <laughs> exactly what was he saying to each one of those sons. But I think there's a pattern that we need to understand in here, uh, a real pattern. Uh, the first thing I want us to see about a blessing and I, and I want you to be thinking about this now in, in terms of your own family. Fathers, mothers, sometimes it's a mother that might have to give a blessing if there's not a spiritual father. Um, uh, there's an assumption. You know, when you, when you read these blessings, and I hope you will, I hope you take the time to read chapter 49 on your own. But the first couple of people, you're looking at it and you're going, how in the world is that a blessing? But there's an assumption of blessing. And you know what that assumption of blessing is? They were raised in a family 
that God had called from a people. They were the children of God, and so already they're blessed by being in the family of Jacob who has the promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac. And so our children that are raised in Christian families, there's an assumption of a blessing there. No matter what your parents are like, you can say, well, yeah, I grew up in a Christian family, but my dad was horrible or this or that. But just by the fact that you're raised in a Christian family, there's an assumption of a blessing there. So I want us to understand that. But moving on from that, um, as part of the, the, the body, the family of Christ, recognize those people that were not raised in a Christian family. But now they're part of the family of God, part of the body of Christ. <laughs> those people should have a blessing as well, <laughs> uh, a blessing given to them because they're part of the family of God. And this pattern, I think, that I'm going to show you should be used for biological children, for adopted children, and for our spiritual children. And I've told you the story many times about when I take the students to Angola prison. We live in a, a prison for a week, and it's really intense. And in that intensity, I get to know these young people really well in a, in a, short, in a week seven days traveling 900 miles in the van and then living with them and seeing them as they face all of the kinds of emotions and things. And so I learn a lot about these young people in a week. And at the end of the week, I'm able to take each one of these and we put them in a circle and we write a blessing for each one of those kids and we do that. And so many of those children have not had fathers, Wheaton College students, uh, or they've had a, a horrible family situation or a struggle. And when we put a blessing on these kids, many of them just break down weeping. And later say, nobody's ever spoken those kinds of words over me. And that's what Jacob's doing for his family there. He's speaking words over his sons. And, and that's something that I believe should be a practice of Christian families. So here's the pattern. First of all, we acknowledge that this person is part of the family. They're in the family. For our own biological children, you know, you're a Heidel. <laughs> Sorry, but you're a Heidel. And, and, and that's who you are. Or, you know, in the family of God, you're, you're, you're part of the family of God. And then there's an uh, a second thing is accountability. In these blessings, especially if you notice how Jacob did it, he talked about accountability for some of the things that he'd seen in their lives that, that weren't exactly right. So there's an accountability, but it's bigger than that. You know, we say, you've heard, you know, I don't know, maybe Dan says this, you're Griffith, you're going to act like a Griffith, you know. I don't know if you've ever said anything like that. But, uh, no? Okay. Maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe it's a de temple. You know, you're a de temple, so you're going to act like a de temple. Uh, and, and so what does that mean? But that's, that's part of this accountability. We, we think about our name, our good name. There's also an affirmation where we affirm young people. We talk about the gifts that they have, the talents that they have, the good deeds, the things, how we've seen God use them. <laughs> and then finally, there's, there's an anticipation of their future. We're not prophets, but we can see, often see how, how God is, is using people. Phil Chapman, come up here, will you please? Leave that sound booth alone. Come over here for a minute. Sit down. I didn't write this down. I didn't really practice it. But this is what it would look like. Phil, I know you came from a, a loving family. You had a father that loved you, a mom that loves you, brothers that love you. But I know you didn't come from a 
a family that led you to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I know that you're part of my family now. Uh, we love you. And uh, acknowledge that you're part of our family. And I see in you <laughs> a lot of things. You're really boisterous and loud. <laughs> and that's really good most of the time. Uh, <laughs> but there's times, Phil, when I think, you know what, Phil, maybe you just need to listen a little bit and, and, and slow down a little bit, you know. And, and, uh, and yet, those very things about you, the way you are so boisterous, the way you are so encouraging, the way that you uh, never meet a stranger, the way that you hug and love everybody, that's how God uses you. He's given you a lot of gifts and talents. You're a good father. You're a good husband. You love children. That's amazing, the love that you have for children. And so I see now that you've become a pastor, you've given your life to the Lord to be a shepherd, and I challenge you, brother, to think about what it means to be a shepherd, to do these things willingly, kindly, and lovingly. And I think God has given you the gift of teaching as well, and uh, he's shaping you in that area of teaching and preaching. And so I, I trust that in your future, you're going to stay a shepherd. You're going to stay a pastor. Uh, that you're going to shepherd this flock for a long time. Lord bless you, brother. I love you. You can go back. Those are the types of blessings that we should give our family. In all of history, though, this is the last point, we'll be short, God's sovereignty through providence and grace supersedes our own expectations. In other words, we can put a blessing. I can give my brother Phil a blessing, and God often will he doesn't have to follow my blessing. He can supersede what I've seen and do whatever he, he wants to do with Phil because he's sovereign. And so we expected Joseph in, in this book of Genesis, we expected him to be in the hall of faith. I mean, he did everything right. He always was a good boy. He honored his father. He, he, he worked hard at the prison. And so we expected to see him to be in the hall of faith, and, and, he, and he made it. But, you know, God's amazing. He takes this rascal that I've been talking about all morning <laughs> uh, of a parent, Jacob, and he puts him in the hall of faith. And you know why he put him in there? Look it up in Hebrews. But here's what it says. By faith, Jacob, by faith, Jacob, when dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By blessing his grandsons, he showed faith in God. That's pretty amazing. I think that's what we're to do. We show our faith in God by blessing our own children. <laughs> and then there's Judah. You know, if you read through the blessings in chapter 49, you know, you got to think about Judah. He was a bit of a scoundrel. Remember what he did to Joseph? He said, ah, sell him to the uh, the traders that are coming through here. And, uh, you know, that's how we'll take care of this issue. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, he slept with his own daughter-in-law. Uh, he, he did some things in his life that you'd go, you'd shake your head and say, Judah. But, but God, in his sovereignty, <laughs> he blessed Judah in an amazing way. Here's what he says to Judah, part of what he says in, in verses 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. 
your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down and crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? And here it comes. He says the scepter, he's talking about a king. A king is the one that holds a scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That's the blessing of Christmas, brothers and sisters. Judah, he, he's a bit of a scoundrel himself. His family had issues. So if you're thinking, who's God going to bless? God blesses people through his grace and providence, no matter what their issues are. That's what I love about the Lord. He blesses his people through grace and providence. <laughs> and that blessing of the seed that was promised to Abraham, it came through the loins of Judah. <laughs> and that's the blessing of Christmas. That's Jesus, that's the Messiah, that's Savior, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ through the loins of Judah. That's a blessing. <laughs> Revelation 5.5 5 says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. What a promise, what a blessing. <laughs> so I'm so glad that God uses imperfect families, parents, and people who have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who became one of us, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, teach us to number our days, Lord, please. Father, may we see the pattern, the example that was set by faith in Jacob's life. May we learn to prepare our own family, to tell our faith story for our family, to bless our family, Lord. Father, forgive us for, for not being perfect. Forgive us for our issues. But, Father, we thank you that through your grace and through your providence, you use people just like us. In Jesus' name, amen.